My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. On today's episode of Neurotic Nourishment, we talk kink. Madam Chaston is a fellow podcaster, a mom, a life and alternative relationship coach, a polyamorist, a dominatrix, and a retired sex worker. She candidly talks about sex addiction, abuse, low self-esteem, poor decisions, and finally, learning to like who she is. You can learn more about Chaston and her whole polyam pod on their podcast, The Pod Pod Cult Cast. That's cult with a V. It's available on all podcatchers or check out their Instagram at cult with have. That's at C-V-L-T-W-I-T-H-A-V. They talk about polyamory, kink, and living and loving together. Hope you enjoy our kinky episode. Hi, lovely. Hello. <laughs> I hope that was 10 seconds. That it looked it looked like 10 seconds. To I me. have nothing. I saw a little blinking light and I stared at it. It was great. It was fine. Mm-hmm. Um so we are here, and I can honestly say that with my new friend Justine. How are yes, you? Yes, I'm well. How are I'm you? good. We met um before I went on your pod. Yes. And do you want to say the name of it? Because it always messes me up. And yes. then I get, you know, Kerfluxed, something. <laughs> Kerfluxed. For is that a word? That's what I'm, yeah, yeah. That's yes, yes. Um, so I am from the Pod Pod Cult Cast. That's cult with a V. And we talk about polyamory and kink and life and love and sex and all those things. And you can find us at podpodcultcast.com or wherever you find your podcasts podcatchers is that what they call them i don't, I don't know, know. I, I feel like you, i see that's why i couldn't do it because you have to say pod pod cult cult and like why a v it was so confusing it because we're me. because we're special and we're esoteric no why really a v because remember there's a show in the 80s the mm-hmm. al- the alien v no. maybe yeah so we picked a v because it, it you and v used to be interchangeable and because my husband wanted it to be it to look special, and so he decided it was going to be cult with a V, and then it has just become kind of a thing. Well, that's fantastic, but it hurts my brain. I'm sorry that it hurts your brain, yeah, but your brain is so do. pretty. And so, yeah, yeah, a lot of things hurt my brain, so we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> but you're so pretty, so why does it matter? Um, you know, <laughs> we say people are so pretty when they're dumb, so yeah, yeah. yeah. you said yes, you said yes, you said no, yes. no, no, <laughs> no, that's not what we do. No, but in this, I am kind of dumb, and that's why I asked you to come on, because um, one of the things that has come up either on your pod or since our friendship has evolved mm-hmm. is uh, that your past is different than your present. No shit. Yes. Big shocker. <gasps> and <laughs> I am curious as, you know, I really want to make a point about finding more 
finding out more about things that make me uncomfortable or if not me personally, things that I normally wouldn't ask about because it's not socially acceptable. Right, right. Fortunately, I have few fucks to give, but you're kind of the perfect person to to help me understand, help my you know, six listeners. I think we're up to six now. Oh, Understand. Wow. I know. We're so oh, excited. Wow. Welcome. Hi, six listeners. <laughs> uh, so you have an interesting past, a fascinating present, and no doubt. And a stimulating future. I was I was going to go like <laughs> balls to the wall, but we're on the same page. Oh, we so, can't. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I didn't know. But um, so tell me. All so right. What we're okay. talking tell me what we're talking about. We're basically talking about there was a time when you were being I don't know how to say this, so you're gonna have to do it. Okay. Well, all right. So so can I tell you? Oh, oh, I think my roommate is this home. is so cool. You I wish we had video because the blankets <laughs> are coming alive. So I will paint a picture <laughs> for the listener. I'm I'm in, currently in my bedroom and behind me is my bed. And my dog, her bed is barking and it is my bed is barking and he's also under a blanket and he's now getting off of the bed and it's just this blanket moving in the background. Literally, this is what poltergeist should have been. Ah, and he's still moving (laughs) under the blanket. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. He'll, he'll, oh, hi. Hi. And now he's on the podcast. So this is Oliver, our pod dog. He's our, one of our pod pod cult cast mascots. And he always podcasts with us because he, he is that he's adorable on- and I'm not a sound Nazi. And, and I wish we had videos so people could see what just happened. <laughs> Cause like, as we were talking pre-recording, I was like, there's something in your bed. It's ghosts. It's ghosts <laughs> of lovers past so many. True. Okay. So, uh, so I'm going to tell you a story. I'm excited. So I'm going to take you back to the mid nineties because we all want to go back there. The fashion, the drama of the mid-90s. Wait, so can I ask, how old are you now? I am 39. I will okay. be 40 in March. So get off my show. I only have 40-year-olds on. Just kidding. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm 42. Uh, March is close enough. We'll make it work. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that wasn't to me. but That was <laughs> Hannah said hi. Hi, Hannah. (laughs) Love you. Can't wait for you to come to my art room. (laughs) I'll let her know. I also still have curtains that need to be hung, but whatever. (laughs) We've been talking about visiting your bathtub. We've been planning a trip. I actually might be coming to to like DC in the, uh, like in March. So, (gasps) Oh, interesting. So uh, my sister is dragging me to a a Jewish plant cooking class, plant-based cooking class at the end of January. In DC, and in March um, is my as our birthdays, and we also do stuff. She lives near DC. Very cool. We'll have to we'll have to talk. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so moving ahead. Um, so mid nineties, there was a movie that came out called Exit to Eden. It was horrible, but it sounds familiar. Yes. So it starred Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd and Dana Delaney and the model Iman. And it I was, remember her. Um, in vague broad strokes. Mm-hmm. So probably, it was probably semi-racist broad strokes, but yeah. Yes. So it was No, not not that I'm racist. You know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> when you have to say it, Lindsay. When you have to say it. So so there was this island and there was some <laughs> sort of art theft caper on this island. And this island happened to be a BDSM slash kink getaway. 
Define BDSM. Bondage, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. BDSM. Interesting. Was the, I feel like this was around the same time as hedonism. Yeah. It, so it came out in, I think it came out in 94, 95. I definitely saw it in 95. So I was 15. So I saw this movie in, in when I was 15. So I saw... Rosie O'Donnell wearing wacky pleather bondage gear, Dan Aykroyd wearing the same, and Dana Delaney riding on a horse naked like Lady Godiva. I don't remember Dana Delaney, but the first two, I've got Mm -hmm. a thumbs up and a thumbs down. Yes. So um, directed by Gary Marshall, Penny Marshall's daddy, who (laughs) who created Laverne and Shirley. And... (laughs) Yes, 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 you're welcome. So so Gary Marshall created this weird movie about two cops who go to a kink island to solve a, a theft caper and there's this this mistress of the island and she rides in on this horse and she's in charge and everybody bows to her and there are these kinky slaves and everybody's getting to be themselves and explore their kinks on this vacation fantasy island. And I'm 15 and I'm going, oh my gosh. I didn't know that I needed this in my life. And I did. I needed it in my life. So I'm 15 years old, having some sort of kinky awakening, thanks to Gary Marshall from this terrible, terrible movie. And can I ask a question? Yes. What was going on in your life that you've. So in my life, at you the can time, also, you are welcome to refuse. We are friends. No, I don't mind. And even if not. So know. in the life, I was a closeted bisexual. My mom was going through a divorce in a small town in West Virginia. My mom was divorcing my stepfather who had just undergone a gender transition from male to female. That is, you win. I win. Yeah. Um, My alcoholic mother. And I was an undiagnosed autistic girl, closeted bisexual, Hanging out with theater people, and um, yeah, I was sex-obsessed and getting no action. I was sort of, kind of, not really involved with these twins that I was involved with theater with, Um, but I was really, really gay at the time, and I didn't know it. Like, I was- The twins were- uh, Male. Thank you. Yeah. Um, fraternal twins. One was tall and blonde and one was shorter and brunette. and Which really moodier. fulfills all desires. For, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I had a lot going on. I was really depressed. I had some suicide attempt. I was dealing with a lot of things and I had some sexual and physical and emotional abuse in my history. And I didn't, I felt really, really out of control in my life. And I saw this, so I saw this woman in charge of like this empire almost. She created this island and she was in charge. And in her history in the movie, and it's it's just a flashback, but in her history in the movie, she goes from being submissive, which means she doesn't like to be in control, to being dominant, which means she does. But her backstory, which this is diving way too far into this terrible mid-90s movie. Right, but it's relevant, obviously, because of how it affected you. Exactly. And her backstory, it was she didn't want to submit because she was scared of being hurt. 
So mm-hmm. she was being in charge because she wanted to protect herself. Welcome to every person ever. Yes. So control stuff, control issues. Right. But it so, does open up like the physical, emotional. Yeah. 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 So, so fast forward, I'm 19. I'm in my first relationship with my baby daddy. I'm pregnant. And this is my first like long-term sexual relationship. And I, my mom had raised me to be a good housewife. My mom had raised me to have men take care of me, to, you know, be like, to keep up appearances. Wait, pause. Yes. Your your mom, plus I am a shrink. I mean. Yes. Your mom who. My mother. Ex-husband or soon to be ex. Yes. Yeah. My mother who like was barely supporting us. My mother also was married, getting divorced with a, that was her third husband. And it's, it's less about me insulting your mother and more about me, uh, like bringing attention to the power we give over people. No, no, absolutely. My mother who made really, really horrible decisions and under the guise of saying that she was taking care of me, and sh- this is a thing she told me all my adult life was I, you know, I made these horrible decisions because I thought I was taking care of you. Turns out I was just making bad decisions. Um, yeah. So the yeah was I, I get angry. I, had, I know. Yeah, I had it's a not horrible. About her. It's about, I had yeah. a horrible, fucked up, codependent relationship with my mother. And yeah, I see the the race hand. Yes, <laughs> the race and, hand. I do. I no longer yeah. do because I'm out of fucks. But mm-hmm. but I had it. So yes, my alcoholic mother, who instead of getting me proper treatment and care for being uh, differently, uh, like to be for being neuro different, neuro uh, neuro atypical, thank you, uh, neurodiverse, which is better, um, for being autistic, just made taught me how to mask it so that i you know i learned how to be a really great actress i mean i've said this before yeah. and i'll say it again i don't see the i'm not i'm not denying it or defying right. it or whatever i just don't see it and right right i either she did a good job of teaching you to blend mm-hmm. or um I think I, I do. I, I think it's a combination of she did a good job of insisting I blend and I did a good job of surviving for a long time. I'm glad and you survived, but I'm sorry that the first half okay. sucked. Yeah. No, it's okay. So anyway, but back to the fun stuff. Mm-mm. So so I had this relationship and I thought that in order to please my partners, I had to be submissive. And so I would do things like, you know, ask them to spank me and it really wasn't my thing but then when my baby daddy asked me to do things that I viewed at the time as more dominant acts like he asked me to spank him Mm -hmm. and he asked me to um you know to do butt stuff to him like I like I had a like a weird crisis about it because like, Oh my God, like I can't do that. Like what, what do you think the connection was? Uh, Like, why could you not do that? I, I think it was because I didn't have any framework for 
a woman doing that sexually. My whole world of sexuality, other than that one movie, came from softcore and porn, which is all male gaze, which is all women submitting. And even if women did something kind of kinky to men, it was still men, you know, it was still men telling them to. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was still men in power. It wasn't men asking women to, it wasn't men turning over the power to women. So agreed, uh, understood. Part of my question comes from the fact that um, a lot of the, if you look up like, well, Google, everyone knows that's like the right. prime, you know, we used to have encyclopedias now right. with Google. But um, if you look up like the top most common uh, sexual fantasies, a lot right. of them are the forbidden. And yes. I, I definitely think being uh, submissive and also being dominant are both in different ways uh, forbidden. So that's why I'm curious as to what, you know, right. If you well, have any insight as to why I don't, if I did, I would just tell you, but I, you know, and I think, I think maybe some of it was that I was not in any way assertive as a person. I had no self-esteem. I had no confidence. I didn't feel good about myself. I had no self-esteem. I had no concept of me being attractive. The fact that any man wanted me at all. And I also, by the way, since this is a podcast, I have to say it. You're super hot. I am hot. I know it. I'm so I, glad I you know. know it. I know it. And I learned it. And whew, like if I had known it then, it would have I would have been dangerous. Same. I w- like looking right? back at pictures and I'm like, oh, I was so fat. No, I was smoking hot. Yeah. But I also feel like now it's relevant for us to alert this to the um well, you guys, you can always follow her podcast and see her, I think. No? No. You cannot. Oh, we okay. are anonymous. Take yes. it. Then take it from me. Like, she is my ideal woman. Um, <laughs> no, I have a thing for redheads. Always Thank have. you. Thank you. Yes. Okay, you can- now we can stop flirting. You can go back. <laughs> Aww, I'll never stop flirting with you. I'll Fair talk enough. to you later. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think it was about control control felt wrong because who was I to take control? Do you think it was also related to um, like as women we're supposed to succumb rather than be this? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where my mother was coming from. You know, my mother was uh, very much a baby boomer. She was raised by my granny who was born in 1929. Like, you know, and there was this very Southern, very, you know, women rule silently and we do not assert ourselves and we are passive aggressive and that is how we get things done. Exactly. exactly. Well, I just can't. I'm sorry. Okay. So I rolled my eyes yes. um, and I don't do well with passive aggressive because in order to survive my childhood, adolescence, adulthood, um, at some point in the last five to 10, I've learned to be aggressive rather than passive aggressive right. or assertive, as assertive. I would like to say. Yeah. Assertive. I think it's assertive. And I think that there's a, I, I think that it's unfortunate that there's no middle ground. It's either women are passive or they're aggressive. There's no p- passive or assertive. I'm sorry, there is. It's called having a penis. Uh, well, but I know, but I'm just saying. Penises, I know, but mine was so clever. Yeah, uh, it was very clever. It was very you. clever. So, <laughs> so 
fast forward some time. So I went from having no esteem and I had a kid and I was a mom and that required a little bit of me sort of, um, you know, hiking up my skirt and being a big adult in the world. And I became, um, a corporate trainer in corporate America and, I was By the way, pause. I have no idea what a corporate trainer is. Okay, so I worked for a logistics company and um Pause, a, no idea. Okay, trucking company. Okay, as vague as you want to be, I'm not like trying to yeah, help yeah. you. Oh, I'm just no, trying no, to no. understand. Yeah. I know. Um trucking company, um shipping company. Think like FedEx, UPS. Fair. I understand what FedEx is. Yes. They, they won't drop the packages at my door. They drop them like in the whatever. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So um so I was responsible for training customer service people. And then I was responsible for training the people who trained the customer service people. So classroom style training on solving problems, doing claims. Anytime you call somebody and you have a, you, you didn't get your package or they didn't drop it where you wanted them to. I was the one who would develop training, write it. Oh, you were that intermediary where I'm always like, let me talk. I was like, I don't want to yell at you. Let me talk to your no, manager. No, I was not that person. Oh, okay. I was not that person. I was the person who trained them to ask for the, trained them how to connect them, connect you to a manager. I can see that, which yeah. is, which doesn't sound autistic, but go on. I it's, know. It's a was, long-term thing. I know. On. I okay, was an fine. excellent, excellent teacher. And then... Um, I also did manage some teams of customer service people, and then I ran a department that had sales. I ran some um, groups that were volu- like volunteer groups, and we did, found, I don't know, charity work. Blah, blah, blah. I was very, very corporate, very, very involved. So question, where was yes. your son, your sexuality, and your baby daddy during so all And your my, mom, your mom also. Like the so my mom of- was in another state, but still very involved in my life. My baby daddy was, in, was across the country and not very not involved in my life. I was at this point working towards getting married, and my son was with me. Um, and I was... Getting married to not your baby daddy. Not my baby daddy. No. My baby daddy turned out to be not a good father. Wow, that's really, that's unusual. No, so unusual. Um, <laughs> and I think that, I think that he stays in touch with my son. My son has not mentioned him lately, but I'm sure he'll get some kind of, you know, holiday present or I don't know. It's not really my business. My son uh, is an adult now. I think I it is, but I also think, I mean, it would, I pi- never, it would piss me off, but yes. I also think that what you give to your son is much more important than. Right. I, um, I did not ever speak negatively of my son's biological father while my son was growing up. My son formed his own opinions of his biological father's absence in his life. When he was 18, I did discuss things that happened when he was younger so yeah I have no judgment about your (sighs) to me this has nothing to do with what you've come from where you are now Mm -hmm. and what you have to share which is not to say it's not important it's just that to me you're so much better than 
whatever you came from, specifically this dude. So, you know. Oh, exactly. And I don't, I have no shame. You know, I have, I have no shame about any of it. Why would you? Right. Right. Well, and I, I feel like some people do have shame about that stuff. I'm so proud of my son. He's doing so well in the world. He, you know, he has a little house. I don't know. I'm proud of him. Uh, anyway, so. And back- be proud of you too. Oh, I'm also proud of myself. Good. I'm also proud of the fact that he doesn't live in my house anymore. Are we allowed to cuss? Are Are you... F- are you literally okay, first of all we I'm speak so every we speak every fucking day and also when i went on your show it was like the i third, know i think i dropped like 12 f i know but and i also made you get drunk on my show okay so all right um hey so i'm really look, happy i poured a glass of wine oh excellent so where's really, yours mm-hmm. oh i have i have this i have this octopus cup of water and uh and my chloroseptic i'm it's a chloroseptic i'm hoping if you drink enough i'm just kidding yeah I'm just going to down the chloroseptic. Oh, that sounds like such like a responsible grown-up decision. <laughs> I don't know. It's cherry flavored. It's not that bad. Oh, no. It's it's berry something. Anyway. So, um, so yeah. So, while I was still – before I – before I moved By the way, in, I think – wait. To pause you, I think the point is we have grown to know, respect, like each other. Yes. We're, we're friends. having this – I think so – which we're is friends. fantastic. And the reason that we're having this conversation is because it's important for other people to hear. Absolutely. So take a deep breath and tell us. So, tell us all your dirty shit. Us being so, the five of us. You so know. What, before I was all corporate I did phone sex for a while. And yes. Question in the audience. How did yes. that start? Um, I literally just answered an ad and thought it was a quick way to make money. Okay. Where did you answer the ad? Was it in the village voice? Because I no, uh, it was not. It was just on the internet and I got I c- an 800 number and a separate phone line and a headset. And I did, it was very girl six in my apartment building. I'm only upset because I lived, you know, I went to Georgetown, I lived in DC mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted it to be the village voice or like the, I saw you ads. That was always no. my fantasy. No, it was online. Sorry. Fine. Go on. So I did phone sex for a while. And at this point in time, I didn't realize that I was a sex addict. I just realized that I was very happy doing sex work type things. So I don't know if I realized until this moment that you um, think of yourself, believe, or are a phone sex a-, a phone a sex addict. And I'm curious as to what makes you see. You maybe get, you know, wine. Um, oh, I didn't make you drink the wine. You totally did. No, I didn't. Okay, fine. take responsibility for yourself, Lindsay. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so tell me, so because uh, I'm curious, at what point did you realize what made you think that, and why are you so sure? Um, in 2007, when I was engaged to my husband uh, to be married, and having lots of fears, qualms, issues, and he and I were having lots of weird group sex adventures with people prior to our marriage, Um, lots of swinging situations. Um, And I was doing lots of things that were not comfortable for me. 
because one, I wanted to please him. And two, I just wanted the sex to happen, but I would have this huge crash afterwards. I started doing some research on why that could be happening. And I learned a couple of things about myself. I learned that um, people who engage in sex work and people who engage in things like um, sex with people that they don't necessarily have any attraction to and um, that sort of thing and group sex and stuff like that when they don't really feel like, you know, it's not really something they wanted to do. They just wanted the sex and also have sex with people just to make them feel good about themselves for a small period of time are potentially sex addicts. I thought, okay, maybe I need to read some actual literature. So I got a couple of books and I kept them in my desk at work. And I started working the steps a year later when I was married and I kept it for my husband. I didn't, I didn't actually talk to him about this until this year. Um, because I, I always referred, I had always referred to myself as hypersexual or, and talked about sex addiction, but my husband who has been an AA and things like that didn't take that seriously as an addiction. So I kept it to a minimum in terms of talking about it. Um, so I started working the steps sort of on my own and would do like online chat groups and things. Pause. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm great. Okay. No, I mean, like, I know you're okay overall, but are you okay talking about this? Absolutely. Because I've had like eight different thoughts and there's like springboarding off my brain. So I'm fine talking about anything. So am I, but there are also things that make me feel, you know, concerned, confused, icky. So I want to make sure. Oh, no, I'm fine. Okay. Again, you get this audio and you edit as you will because oh, I'm no, not going to do it. Okay. Um, so I'm sort of um, – how did you know it, there was something beyond – like sex is exciting. The forbidden is exciting. Sex is exciting. The forbidden is exciting. And I, you know, I was, but I was doing things like coming home from work on days when I could get, get home early and sitting in webcam rooms and just showing my cleavage just so that guys could tell me that it made them hard. So is that a sex thing or an ego thing? It was a power thing. Uh, fair, which falls into, I think, the BDSM. It does. Okay. It does. And so that was sort of how a lot of this, a lot of the, um, so I've been kinky since I was 15. Okay, I so think, this is the other thing that when we were yes. planning this, because um, we did plan this and we did talk about this, and like we both think it's interesting, and I feel like a dumbass because I don't know anything. I don't know enough about this, and I'm a shrink, so don't come to me for sex therapy. Or, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but now you can after we talk. But so, I guess I I want to understand. Um, perhaps part to do with my patience, but also just part to do with curiosity, mm -hmm. part to do with my friendship with you. Yeah. Like I want to learn more. So 
kink, BDSM, and what's the other thing that I keep forgetting? The laws, the thing, the thing. Oh, the foster sister. So you that say thing- that you say that as though it's like the ABCDs, and I'm like, I don't. Okay. Know. okay. So, so I started doing a thing called financial domination online. Wait, did I just like step over an edge that I? No. Okay, fine. No. Again, you get this to edit as you will. I know. Okay. No, you didn't start at all. So I started doing a thing called financial domination online. Um, and it went along with camming, but it was more like I wasn't being a cam girl. It was more like um, I was just sitting in front of a camera and telling men to give me money, and they were. By the way, do you make a lot of money camming, or could you make a lot of money camming? Um, you can make a lot of money camming, um, and when, but yes, that was just a joke. Okay, no, oh, but, but oh. like, um, but I however, am just saying my pod, my Patreon. Yeah, whatever. I do not, I do not recommend at this point in time getting into the cam girl market or cam boy market or cam anyone market. Um, it's highly saturated and the rates are really bad. The percentages that the websites pay out are really horrible. And um, also, cam boy for some reason, cam boy more than cam girl makes it seem like a uh, icky. Yeah, cam person, cam pedophile. No, but it makes it seem yeah. like pedophile. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And uh, yeah, well, and so you know, you can go online and find anybody to get naked for you at any time of the day, and you can find that for free, or you can pay for it. <laughs> so go on, tell me what so, else. So I started doing a thing called financial domination, which is when, excuse me, when people like to have somebody tell them to give up their power by having their money taken away. This can be done in a certain number of ways. You can have them, yes. Seriously, are you okay? Yeah. Okay, I just, you are going to edit this out. I'm going to edit this out. How come you keep asking me if I'm okay? Because I love you and I adore you. I love you too. I know, but I just want to make sure. Oh, I'm absolutely a thousand percent okay. I'm excited to talk about this. Okay, then me too. And you get this, you edit it. I'm I'm excited too, but I don't want to like push you to a point of uncomfortable. Oh no, no. Okay. So I love go. this stuff. Go. Okay. So um so financial domination is probably my one of my biggest fetishes. I love money. I want people to just give me money because they think I'm beautiful and sexy and that's it. I'm in. Fine. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll give it to you and I'll ask it from you. Fine. All right. All right. So um, so that's basically what financial domination is. And it's uh it's a huge kink and um it's something that sort of led into me going, you know what? Maybe I'm not as submissive as I thought I was. <laughs> So I entered into my marriage thinking like, oh, I'm going to be this 1950s housewife. This is who I am. I'm so excited to read all of my Martha Stewart cookbooks that my mother bought me before I got <laughs> married. My mother, my mother, before I, before I got married, when I moved out of my mother's house when I was pregnant, my mother bought me like springform pans and Martha Stewart cookbooks. And she said, this will prepare you for your life. <laughs> And she brought me, like, she bought me a nice rolling pin. And so I still have these things to this day. Um, 
you know, we're very excited about the number of springform pans that we have in this house. We can bake a cheesecake any day of the week. I don't even know what springform pans are. They're what you bake cheesecakes in and tarts. And I made a lovely shortbread in it for Thanksgiving. So I can um, help you out here. I don't bake cheesecakes or tarts. I tried paella. Didn't work. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's fine. Someone will die of food poisoning or burn the house down. Nope. No I hope you have a good insurance policy, especially since it's new. It's so <laughs> new. And the book nook. Okay, go on. The book nook. I love the book nook. I do too. So, so I realized like, okay, maybe I'm not as dominant as I thought I was. So this started causing some problems in my marriage because here I am. I am a corporate trainer and I'm one of the best trainers for my company. And it's a big company. And it's a an international company. I'm one of the best trainers in the United States for the company I work for. I'm bringing home most of the money at that time because the housing market sucks. And my husband works in a construction industry. And I could and I was also like into sex worky things. And like what? Hold on. Like, like what? Because like, you, you like camming stuff fine. and just, you know, making the occasional extra buck here and there doing camming stuff and financial domination. And I just sucked at following instructions and I sucked at deferring to my husband. And these were causing some kind of headbutting things in my marriage. Okay. Can I pause? For yeah. A minute? So. I have this theory, and I've also written half of a book. Yes. Which is never going to be published about the fact that um, what we wanted 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and listen, I am a, I'm going to say 2.5, but there's nothing in the oven. But like, you know, I'm a, I have a boy, I have a girl, I live in uh, fucking suburbia. Um, my husband likes to pretend that I am not the outspoken person I am. <laughs> Trust me. I like to. This is why he doesn't listen to the podcast. He doesn't know what a podcast is, but I regardless. Right, moving along. Yeah, it's fantastic. But like, I agree. I understand. But um, if I could go back. Or if he could go back, there were so many things that I would want in a mate that I wasn't smart enough to know. Right. And there were so many things that he would want in a mate that he thought he had and he didn't. Right. So, like, I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because now I think that I have a good relationship with my husband now. Well, can you ex- – is it – like impinging to ask you to explain? No, not at all. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned that uh, on the Pod Pod Cultcast, we talk about polyamory, um, which is a form of non-monogamy. Um, and that just means that I am capable of having multiple romantic relationships. I have a husband and I also have a another cis Het white male partner um, who is my who doesn't live with me. My husband has several partners. Um, By the way, me. I did not realize he didn't live with you. Oh, Eric? Yeah, Eric doesn't live with us. He has an apartment that I call his bedroom across town. 
<laughs> I does rarely it, see I it. I mean, does it bother you? Is there no. someone else there? Fine. No, no, no. Um, we actually had a conversation about moving in together and we agreed that it would probably be better for us not to, that having our own separate spaces and not cohabitating and being able to choose spending time together is a lot better for us right now. And by the way, I bet you a million trillion dollars <laughs> uh, monogamous couples would choose that if they could. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we all have separate bedrooms anyway. So, you Except know. the dog. Well, the dog and I share a bed. The dog um, has freaked me out. I keep looking for him even though he's gone. Oh, so I think Hannah took him and she sent me a text message and said she was sorry and I feel, I feel oh, bad. Oh, stop I it. I bad. Tell so, her I say hi and I love her. I you will. Know. I will. Um, so, uh, you know, my husband has me and then, um, our roommate Hannah is his other long-term partner. And then he has, um, another longish term partner. I think they've been together about a year now, um, that also does not live with us, but she is married to somebody else. Um, and then he has a couple of people that he sees casually. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, polyamorous and we call ourselves the pod and we started a podcast in September and it's been going well so far, but we have a good relationship with one another and, um, we, uh, do not all sleep together, which is the biggest question people ask. Um, we don't all I'm, have sex together. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of disappointed, but kind of relieved because I have anxiety and it's a lot of fucking pressure. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. And so, um, actually Max and I have sort of a, um, a wall we do not cross. If Max is interested in somebody or Max and Hannah are interested in somebody, like Eric and I are not involved in that in any way, shape, or form. And Eric and I don't date other people really. We just date each other. Okay. So I have Max and I have Eric. Um, I have two different ways that I like two different questions I want to ask and yes. neither one do I want to make you feel uncomfortable. You can stop saying that because you will not make me feel uncomfortable. I'm a grown ass woman and I will tell you. And that's why I have a crush on you. Um, so why gross? Stop it. Shut up. <laughs> We're sexy. We're so sexy. Um, I guess at what point did you, how was the decision made that your marriage would stay intact, but your um, commitment, sex life, et cetera, would not? We were polyamorous kind of from the beginning. Okay. Um, and we – hang on. Uh, I need to cough. That was the worst cough ever. When I cough or – oh, you po- you muted it, you bitch. Okay. Probably. Yeah, I'm a lady. Fuck you. <laughs> um, I'm just a snorter, so. Oh. So um, we became platonic in 2015 after a very hard time between us. And um, it was just a difficult time in our marriage. It was a difficult time because I am disabled and I have a disease and we still didn't have a diagnosis. Um, You're going to have to say a uh, like just a little more about the disabled disease because I so, believe we spoke about it before. Yes, we did. As, so, as far as like difficult time in your marriage, yes. I respect it. But um, So in 2012, I was taken out of the corporate world entirely. And um, by, uh, which is now diagnosed, I have trigeminal neuralgia, 
with status migranosis, which basically means my face and head just hurt all the fucking time. And I feel nauseous a lot. And um, I also have a lot of body pain. And I didn't have a diagnosis until um, the end of 2015. So I went three years without a diagnosis. So wait, so pause. So in, in theory on paper, for those of you that have had migraines, it's like a super, super shitty migraine, but all over the body. Yes. Well, it's, it's not all over the body. It's just, it's really, really intense on one side of the face and it can cause pain. It's kind of like, it's more similar to fibromyalgia. Which most people in the medical field and non-medical field think of as bullshit, which yeah. pisses me off. So but- it's all of it is all of it is tricky. So I have just no, it's tricky because it's annoying. Because, yeah, it's annoying. Uh, Don't yeah. get me started on the medical field. Anyway, so it was literally the week that I met Lindsay. You seriously was. It was I, the week that I met you that I got a medication that actually started helping me in any Which way, is a great form. medication. And yes. see, uh, twinsies, synchronicity, you know. Yes. So, um, yeah. So um, there were a lot of stresses on the marriage financially and with that. And it is hard to have a partner that is in pain all the time and disabled. And he had a bad relationship that was abusive and that um, – caused a lot of problems between us that had nothing, you know, it was something that, that his relationship had nothing to do with me. It caused a lot of problems between us. It just, it, it just, I'm not, I'm not pushing you because sometimes people do grow apart. I was trying to sparse out, parse out rather like, it wasn't a sit down conversation. It was just a thing that happened. Right. But I think the thing that's important is that it was not a, um, a desire for dominance or submission or right. polyamory. It was simply that yes, it, ha- it just, I think sometimes people grow the relationship change. Yeah. And, and I think that also the fact that I was a very different person than the person that he married because I grew and I changed and, and I, here I was a very self-contained, self-assured, assertive woman who felt comfortable in her skin and comfortable with the fact that she'd gained like 80 pounds in medication weight, whatever. I'm going to interrupt you because I don't give a fuck about what you weigh. Oh, I don't either. But, but the fact that I was comfortable about all of it, like just the fact that I was, I felt all for all of a sudden I wasn't anxious or worried about what anybody else thought. That is very uncomfortable for people who do worry about what people think. Uh, wait, are you saying you don't worry about what people think? I don't worry about what people think. I okay. Give shits. I'm so jelly. Um, I worry. And um, <laughs> I worry. And also, I worry for no reason looking back at my younger self. Exactly. Well, let's just take a look at how many times you've asked me if I'm uncomfortable. And I've said, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I think that I have a people-pleasing tendency. You do. I call it the doormat syndrome. And it's, it's just, it's something that I had for such a long time that once I got, once I was able to move past it and go like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I like that you called it as you saw it. It you're not wrong. It is the doormat syndrome. It's not that I think that I deserve to be stepped on. I think that it's that on some level that's what has happened my whole life. Right. And um, 
I agree. But I also think it's what makes me a good shrink. It does. Absolutely. Um, because you want to help people and you want to protect people and care for them. I do. But it's I, what made me a good sex worker. Which was what we were supposed to talk about, which is really interesting. Well, so I tell was, me so, tell me an interesting story or your first time or so my first time doing in person sex work. And by the way, what are we defining in person sex work? It's because so in- when you say that, I think of that as like prostitution, and I don't know that that's what it is. Well, there are different forms of pro- of sex work. So um, the different forms of sex work are like there's stripping. Go, you know, like exotic dancing. You go to a strip club. That's in person, right? Yeah, I mean, most of um, us have been to that. I yeah, me that. have. I there's have. no one else in the room, but I'm looking around. Yeah, okay. fine. Um, and then there's um, burlesque falls under that category. Even burlesque, even though burlesque dancers will say, "No, it's art." Whatever, it's still stripping. You're taking off your clothes. Yeah, I'm not um, really sure of the difference. So fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's the remote sex work, which is phone sex and camming, eh, and thing, what yeah. you and I are doing right now, which is remote sexy work. That makes it sound so much more exciting. But let's yes, go with it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then there's um, then there are the different types of in-person sex work, and camming and phone sex can have all their different categories, just like porn can have all of its different categories. You can have your like. Your soft core, your girl on girl, your hard, you know, whatever. So, so there's body work, which is typically non-sexual in-person sex work. It's usually a massage with a hand job. That's what I was thinking, which seems pretty sexual. Yeah. Which is pretty sexual. Um, There's also. It also seems annoying because like. Yeah. But whatever. Well, body work can also include things like body rubs where you actually rub your boobs or your butt or whatever on their body. And I I just remember being like 12, 13 Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't that young. I remember being like 14, 15. So what when you that? got your first body rub? I know. Mm-hmm. No, when I gave my first hand job and I was like, oh, this is lame, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you have escorting, which technically escorting is you're somebody's date. You're escorting them. Um, then there's full service sex work. Full service sex work is you have sex with somebody. Doesn't matter what kind of sex you're having. You're it, it's blowjobs, it's hand jobs, it's whatever. There's penetration, anal, whatever. And then there's prodoming, which is what I did. Which is which is when you are professionally dominating somebody. It kind of sounds <clears throat> like uh, if there is penetration, it kind of sounds like a bullshit excuse for. Well, if there's with prodoming, there should not be any type of sexual aspect. If there is sexual contact, that's just escorting or full service sex work. I like to call that whitewashing, but then people yell at me that I'm being racist, which is like not the term. Of well, I think I think it's not racist. I think it's minimizing something that is a very true thing that happens. So it's not being racist. It's being minimalist of an experience that people who are of color have, if that makes sense. 
I think that's fair. I think that wasn't my intention, but right, I it wasn't th- at all. Hold on, but I also think that as a white woman privilege thing, I need to be open to hearing what I'm saying yeah. and how it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so professional domination is not supposed to have any kind of sexual contact whatsoever. However, there can be contact with genitals. It's just not with the worker's genitals. You can hurt genitals. There's um, it's CBT, cock and ball torture, okay, instead so, of cognitive uh, behavioral right, therapy. I was like, I, don't I know. know how to make that work. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, uh, and then there's... But does um, cock and ball torture not count as... It doesn't because there's no ejaculation or orgasm and the intent is not for sexual release. So it's like, but it's all for arousal. Are we drawing the line? No, it's not for arousal. Okay. So this is where this is where there are some tricky things when it comes to stuff. So depending on what state you're in, and depending on what kind of submissive you are or dominatrix you are, there are also professional submissives, mind you, which are you know they there are people who like to get spanked professionally or hit professionally. So in the state of Virginia, which is where I am, it is illegal to hit somebody with any implement. You cannot consent to be hit with something. New York as well. Yeah. So it is battery. It is uh, Mm -hmm. if you use an object and leave a mark. Right. Exactly. So it is battery. So it is not legal to do that. So that is illegal. And it is also illegal to exchange money for anything that involves penetrative stuff. I honestly don't know about New York, but I would assume they're similar. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so for example, say if I had a client and they came to clarify, um, this is something you've left behind. Yes. Yes. And I'm going to tell you about not to not to judge. I'm just like, I want the listener, all six of them to know like where we're. Yes, I retired. And I'm going to tell you about retirement in about two seconds. Um, So I have no rush. I'm eager to hear. Okay. Um, So if I had a client, even if they became aroused during whatever was happening during our time together, first and foremost, any payment I received was a tribute or a gift. And that payment was for my time and expertise only. Which not, makes sense. We do right. get paid by the hour. Exactly. And it was not for anything that happened because I was never, ever a menu you could order off of. <laughs> um, and there are different ways that people do things. The way that I engaged in sex work was I had long-term relationships with the people that I worked with. So I developed actual dynamics with them where they were my submissives and slaves. Um, and there were, I, they were, these were people I actually liked to I was going to say, I, I would call those feelings right, yes. wrong or indifferent. Yeah. Yes. There are feelings. I, and I actually cared about how they were doing and how they were doing in their lives. And there was a lot of work on personal things that they struggled with. I helped somebody improve their law practice. I helped somebody, um, improve some uh like just ocd issues i help people you know there's a lot of emotional labor that goes into sex work and so not only were they 
coming to me for a type of emotional release or freedom, but they were and stress release, but they were also coming to me for uh, a validation and a feeling that I was proud of them. Um, and that was really, really, really important to them. They didn't want to let me down. And one of the, one of the rules that I always had with anybody that I worked with was you cannot let this thing that you do with me ever hurt your family, your friends, your relationships with anyone. It is more important that you are a good employee, a good husband, a good father, a good what have you, than a good submissive to me. I think that is a lovely idea, but I want to raise my hand, except that I worship you. But like, how do you know? How do you prove? How do you qualify? I know. Uh, It's a great, it's a great intention. You cannot, absolutely not. But I can say that I had several people change their vote and not vote for Trump. I talked, hold on. Okay, I, pause. So, by yes. the way, right before we started recording, we did yay impeachment, uh, which, this which will only be the start. But nonetheless, yes. we were both excited. And when this episode um, comes out, hopefully, more things will have happened. Um, I am yes, keeping exciting. every orifice of my body. That was wrong, but I was going oh. with fingers crossed. I know it's like I have more orifices. Okay, labia so. crossed. My labia um, is crossed. Go on. <laughs> so. Um, and I actually helped one of um, one of the people I was working with find their polling station so that they could vote because they were not going to vote in the 2016 election. I mean, man, I could help someone find their polling station by giving directions. But for the rest of it, I'm a, I, like, I'm in right. agreement with you. you know? Right. So like, it, it was important to me that people had uh, very feminist values, that they understood that I was not going to humiliate them for anything that they were interested in, that it was important to me that they understood that I was disabled, that I received Medicare benefits, that the way that they voted politically and acted it out in the real world affected me. All right. I'm going to pause you because I know that I should have ended this interview like 10 minutes ago to be politically correct. Stop. You're stuck with me. I've got like six more minutes on me. Um, Feminist. What does that mean? Um, so honestly, I believe that feminism really just means humanism. And it means that all people should have equal rights. That's it. So I I do not think until recently that I, and it has to do with becoming a mom, a, a wife, a, a working mom, wife person, like I... I think I was going for equivalent rather than equal. Right. And shortly before we started, I got a text from a friend of mine who was like, I don't see motherhood as a struggle. And I don't like this person that you interviewed. It wasn't you. Um, Mm. Like, I I don't like her because she sees motherhood as such a struggle. And I disagree. I think that... I disagree entirely. Okay, thank God. Because I think that we have to work... It's not even twice as hard. It's like... Help me out here. It's like... um, I have a full-time job. Technically two, possibly three. Right. And yet, I'm the one my kids call. Yes. And I love that. I signed up for that. Yes. 
but but so uh in this day and age and in, in this political climate i've realized that i need to stand up for myself more right with my husband my family my children yes my government. I mean, I'm in New yes. York. We're all. It's dem, not so. just emotional labor. It is actual labor, and it needs to be treated as equally. And yeah, I agree. I agree 100. It's a struggle. It is. It is. So that's actually why I retired. I retired from sex work because um, on April 11th, 2018, last year, um, the government. Pack. Oh, this brought is what in- I want to hear about. This is the yes. thing. Yeah. So the government brought into law um, FOSTA SESTA, and I have to read the acronym because I'll Can get it wrong. Can you please do? Because you've said it eight yes. times, and I'm like, so I don't FOSTA know. SESTA. FOSTA allows states and victims to fight online sex trafficking act. That's what that is. And SESTA, Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Um, these, the, it's the U.S. House bills and Senate bills. They um they became law on April eighteenth April eleventh in two thousand eighteen, and they closed down sites like Backpage and the Personals on Craigslist, which is basically where a lot of sex workers were finding clients and also able to screen clients. And there were a lot of websites where you could review people and say, "Hey, this person's bad. This person didn't pay me what they promised, or this person was too rough, or this person was not who they said they were. Um, this person wouldn't show me ID. All that stuff. Basically, Hold a bad on. actor." So pause. So it's a it's an inappropriate. No, it's a it's an unofficial use of uh, word of mouth to get out. Basically, yeah. Okay. So so the internet had basically classifieds and also review sites that this law shut down because they said that it was promoting sex trafficking. And so instead of stopping sex trafficking, um, a survey said that uh, this is out of San Francisco. Um, human trafficking and street-based sex work offenses increased 170% since this came into law, since this law came into effect. And so what do you make of, because uh, statistics are phenomenal, but let's yeah. like, d- so basically what break happened, them apart. Yeah. So basically what happened is this law comes into effect. These websites that sex workers are using to safely screen and find clients and get away from people like pimps and escort agencies, which are abusive and notorious for taking more money than they're supposed to and exploitive. Sex workers who are consensual sex workers. We're not talking about people who are trafficked. That is a horrible thing. Sex trafficking is an awful thing. We all agree with that. Question. Did you ever cross paths with someone who is looking to sex traffic you or? No. um, Okay, fine. No. I have always been independent. um, independent So this is your decision. Regardless. My decision. Your decision. Yes. My decision. And it's kind of like a. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but it's kind of like a lemonade stand, but it's something you decided. Yeah, it's something I decided. It's something I enjoyed. It's something I consented to 1000%. Fine. And the only people that I know who have done this in my area are people who consented to it and adults over 18 years of age. So, I don't know that that adds any like actual credentials to yeah, it, I know. but it is, oh, but hold on, but it mm-hmm. is your experience. Yes. So 
Um, this caused people who were consensual sex workers and using this as a way, mind you, a lot of sex workers are disabled. A lot of sex workers have trouble finding regular jobs because of um, addiction history or criminal history or because they are considered undesirable, i.e. they are black and trans, etc. And they have trouble getting employment because they're not Uh, passing. And by the way, just because no one can see this. Are you black or trans? No, I am very, very Caucasian and very <laughs> cis and hetero female. And totally redhead and hot as shit. But I'm totally just, I, I am just putting that out so that so you this are is not, not my experience. Exactly. Also, but I am disabled. more fine. But more importantly, I want people to know that are listening that you are not presenting one point of view for right. one particular purpose. Right. I'm not presenting one point of view for one particular purpose. Porpoise. We can say porpoise. It sounds more exciting. But I am am disabled. And, but I was one of the lucky people who was able to, because I'm disabled and because I qualified, my disability qualifies for government benefits. I, and because I am married to somebody who was employed and was able to pick up the slack, and because we were able to move a third person into our home we have been able to keep this home without my sex work income. Which is fantastic. I kind of still want to go back to the porpoise, but only for like, I've had two (laughs) drinks reasons. (laughs) Um, Um, But you're right. It's not fair. So people, so that statistic, the 170% increase, that means that more people are being trafficked in San Francisco And more people are out on the streets doing consensual sex work and getting arrested for it. Which I'm going to pause. I don't know what I think about consensual sex work work and arrests. I have an eight and 11 year old. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel. I don't know if they should hear me out. I don't know if they should quotes. Um, be able to get their first sexual experience from uh, someone who gets paid, someone who there's no well. In, wait, no one, no, yeah. in, no, in theory, um, emotional connection with. Well, you know, but I also think the other side of it is, I'm not sure why some people get to make their decision to make money this way and others don't. Right. Um. So the thing about it is. Because it is criminalized, because it is something that is illegal, it is something for which there are no resources, there's no support, there's no safety. And because of FOSTA-SESTA, a lot of sex workers have had to return to the unsafe streetwalker lifestyle. I am not one of those people, fortunately. How how is um, the unsafe streetwalker lifestyle different than FOSTA-SESTA? So before FOSTA SESTA, before that I, law, you have to spell it out again because it, it just like hurts my brain. Okay, before Fo- we'll just say FOSTA. Nope. And it nope, brain's still small. Before Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, before the like, Fight Online Sex Trafficking perfect. Act, perfect, done. Before that happens, somebody could get a hotel room, screen a couple of people, schedule it all online. 
never have to talk to anybody, get IDs, everything is done, and you don't have to involve any middle people like agencies or pimps. That's it. Now, without that resource, without the ability to find clients online and then screen clients online and do background checks and things like that, how, like, there's no way to find clients. Okay, so I... I think I have mixed feelings that like that I didn't think I was going to have. So um, I don't want to put anyone in danger. Well, and that's, that's the thing. So if you remove, I'm, I'm just talking about people who are trying to make a living doing sex work, which I view as something that it's my body. I should be able to do what I want. And I, as somebody who does not have sex for money, I am in, I formally engaged in BDSM play for money, which is a completely different level and has a completely emo- different emotional impact, but it's still the same thing. I was still using my body for money, which is no different than, you know, lifting heavy things for money or mining coal for money or what have you. You're still doing things to your body for money. Okay. So let's play it off with you and I. Okay. Um, I don't use my body. I use my brain. I'm not sure one deserves more credit than the other. Right. I agree. Thank God we have agreed. Um, But does it take a toll on you? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Is there a point at the end of the day where you feel like, the compensation is the thing that got you through? Um, yes. Uh, there's a huge difference in what insurance pays me. Right. And also what out-of-pocket pays me. When is, there, I, is there a point at the end of the day when you go, I think I did something good for somebody today? That's the only reason I keep going. And it's okay. not because I'm a noble person. It's right. because like... Um, it's because it's a tough job and yeah, I think I got it. It's a tough job and you put yourself on the line. Yep. And, um, and so right now it's a tough job and a bunch of people who have never had to do the job created a law to quote unquote, stop sex trafficking that made sex trafficking worse and also hurt a bunch of sex workers in the process. Okay, but we have to pause for a second because, I mean, not literally pause, but just to clarify. Yes. When you say sex traffickers, I automatically think of uh, young children, young teens. Mm -hmm. So clarify, because that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, No, I'm talking about that. Sex trafficking can be anything from children to adults to um, people being brought into the country and being forced into sex work to quote unquote pay off their the cost of their entry into the country. Sex trafficking can be anybody of any age. Um, trafficking simply means being forced into sex work, but it's also human trafficking. And human trafficking um, is like, for example, if you've been brought into the country and you're being held against your will to do something with your body against your will 
So somebody else is profiting off of it. Right. That, so these seem like things you would all be against. I am against that. I am 1000% against that. And that is a, that is a horrible, horrible thing. And this law that they put into effect on, on April 11th, 2018 made that problem worse. It took away resources that the FBI and other um, legal divisions and blah, blah, blah. Um, had you to, said April 2018? That was good enough for me. Go on. I said April 11th, 2018. Oh my god, okay, it wasn't fine. 420. April 11th, 2018. I made um, that up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Back when I was in it, yep. because it took these sites down, it also took away the ability to track the people who are doing those crimes. And so the people who have been stopping sex traffickers have lost resources. And lost and like a good way to do their job and stop sex trafficking. It's funny because I'm so conflicted now because, um, well, I mean, I'm not conflicted. I don't so, want people to rape little kids, but no, absolutely. You know. so, so let's take, so let's separate the two things. Sex work and sex trafficking are two completely separate differences. 100%. So how do we get intertwined? Yeah. Because this law was meant to stop one thing. And it completely and utterly destroyed another thing. So how can we do something to change this besides killing Trump, which last I heard might be semi-illegal? Well, so um, yesterday was the international um, day to end violence against sex workers. And yesterday was December, December 17th. 17th. December 17th. So um, 2019. Every, 2019. And uh, the day before Trump was impeached. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Sorry. And um, I mean, but let's not get too excited. But what else? Right. Okay. Um, the International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers. It was created by the Sex Work Out Sex Worker Outreach Project, which was um, you can find them at swap s w o p u s a dot org. Don't you and, think they need like a better name? Because yeah, they S-W-O-P. absolutely do. Meh, yeah, it's really bad. They have chapters all over the U.S. Um, and Swap is an organization that is helping sex workers. Um, find safety. They do things like help people who have encountered violence, help people get away from their pimps. Um, They uh, are basically working towards human rights for sex workers. And they're also working towards decriminalization of sex work. Okay. So how, how do we convince more people to join this cause? So to convince more people to join the cause, first, we have to understand that there's a difference between decriminalization and legalization. 100%. Yep. Yep. Which is the same as like the conversation with, with marijuana. Decriminalizing it and legalizing it are two different things. So decriminalization means that we say it's we we no longer make it a crime to do it legalizing it just says that there's a law in effect that says you now can do the thing but decriminalizing it means that we can then go through the process of getting people out of jail 
And they're just like they did in California, where they went and expunged a bunch of people's records for um, marijuana possession. They can do the same thing for sex work if we decriminalize sex work. I we guess can- in theory, but like decriminalizing is a huge process. Huge process. Huge, and it huge doesn't process. happen a lot. <laughs> it doesn't happen a lot, but we've started doing it with pot. And we could start doing it with sex work. And they've started doing it in New Zealand, I think. Um, I believe they started doing it in New Zealand. I would have to check that. But um, basically, it's legal in it's legal in Nevada. It's not legal in Vegas, but it's legal in Nevada. They have the bunny ranch. They have brothels that are legal right, in Right, but Nevada. to me, here's the distinction. Like... If it's decriminalized, it's not illegal to do. If it's legalized, it can be regulated. That that would be it. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. taking the words right out of my Sorry, mind. I didn't mean to chastise plain to you. <laughs> you know what's funny? My next uh, Patreon episode is going to be about mansplaining and man apologizing. It is. It's especially oh, funny. I just chastised mm-hmm. apologize. Yeah. It's especially funny because no one listens. But um, I think these are all huge, important things, and we don't talk about it enough, and it's uncomfortable because we yeah. all want to draw black or white lines. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and this is an extremely uncomfortable issue, um, especially when you think about the fact that a lot of the clientele that goes see sex workers are probably married people. But then you get into like problems with monogamy. And I know you've had an, an, an episode of monog- about monogamy with before, you and and, you and, and, and and another one. And that's going to be a continuing thing. But yeah. um, I don't know what I think. I think yeah. that there are some people based on how they grew up, how they were raised, what mm-hmm. they've come to learn that are not monogamy is not enough. Like I could not live only with my husband. I have some best friends and they're great. And, um, I think sexuality is a spectrum. And if I lean towards one way or yeah, who the hell knows? I think it's all complicated and we're all denying our inner stuff. Um, I think we all are. I think, okay. So Going back to sex work stuff. Please. Um, right who after, doesn't want to talk about sex work stuff? Yeah, Everybody wants to talk about sex work stuff. <laughs> there, there's a really great podcast. Um, it's called Reply All. And they actually did an episode about um, FOSTA, SESTA. Oh, You're welcome. Okay. Um, it's episode number 119, and it's called No More Safe Harbor. And they interview sex workers – kind of around the country, and they talk about their experiences. So you're not just listening to this white, privileged dominatrix talking about retiring from sex work, but you get to hear people who lost a lot of stuff talk about their experiences with this law. And they, we all knew it was going to happen. Like, I so, planned my retirement because this was happening. So I'm conflicted because – that seems like a great po- like spot to end it on, but also yeah. Um, if you're informed enough and experienced enough to do the FOSTA SESTA thing, mm-hmm. that I still don't understand. But like, isn't this your choice? And isn't the legality of or illegality of it your consequence? Um. Yeah. So. I there can be a but there can always be a but I <laughs> sorry I like buts um 
I did my best to function as within the law as possible and um, not engage in anything illegal to my knowledge. Um, And I, you know, I turned down lots and lots of money um, because there were people who asked for things that I could have easily done. Um, You can make a lot of money as a, as a dom a pro dominatrix um i should say that i am also a lifestyle domina which it means that i i'm kinky and i like to hurt people and dominate them outside of making money for it i like to do it for free too with uh friends and loved ones uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> i'm laughing not because it's funny just because i love the <laughs> i love the casual way you throw it out there yeah yeah um yeah uh but uh i um I really tried not to do anything that compromised my own morality, compromised my character, made me feel bad. Um, I got into a couple of the situations that were unsafe. And, um, but fuck, if you want to, if, if you want to be a pro dom and you also want to do full service sex work, you can make so much money and it's the money's crazy. And if you don't have, if you if you go into it needing the money it's insane like it's it's like it's like stripping and then you start doing coke and everything gets crazy like <laughs> right but it's also kind of like every relationship like yeah, every yeah. interpersonal every like yeah sexual every um if you're if you're needy and i i don't mean to be like negative but like no, it's true. Depending on what you need and what you have to have is what right. you get out of it. And you'll find right. a way. Right. And I think there's probably a difference between like fun stuff, mm-hmm. kind of kinky, kind of mm-hmm. fun. You know, like there's a spectrum and whatever I say next is going to sound messed up, but. Oh, um, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, thank you. I am so grateful. And I have a feeling we'll talk about this again. Hopefully we will. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.